I'm Pam. I'm Dawn. I'm Deidre. I'm Dina. Welcome, Welcome to Ozark's Paints and Hooch. This ain't no fancy academic check your references kind of deal. This is four girls from the Ozarks sipping and spewing about paints, hooch, and history. Well, howdy, everyone. Hello. here with us the um well I was going to do the acronym but I'm not smart enough to do that right now so anyway <laughs> OHNH gals or Ozarks Haints and Hooch you're with us on season two episode seven can you believe that no. I can't believe it seven I know it's crazy so um this is Deidre in case you couldn't figure that out and I will be your lovely hostess today um we've got uh Pam with the big one. Yay. We got, yay. Yeah. It'll be a good one. We got Dawn with the little one. Yay. yay. <laughs> and uh, Dina's got the hooch, but we're going to come back to that here in just a minute. Yeah. It's all right. Even if it does have whiskey in it, bleh, but it's all right. <laughs> all the juice makes it better. <laughs> you can't even taste it. All right. Well, whatever. Yeah. I, I can't taste it because it's not in mine. So there you go. Okay. Um, so anyway, just here's a few little housekeeping things. Um, of course, we want you to find us on all of our social media. Um, you know, uh, be sure and look for us on Instagram and Facebook. Subscribe uh, to every podcast platform that you can find us on. Give us five stars and the best ratings that you can find to give us, and we will love you forever. We, uh, we release on the 1st and the 15th of each month. And of course, our technical disclaimer is we are sorry for any cats, dogs, uh, probably no mowing tonight. It's raining here in, in Missouri, <laughs> but you never know. Um, we got four different Wi-Fi's. Uh, we are in three, are we in three different states? What is that? No. Yes. Four different, yes, three different. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I live in, in the state. state. That's right. <laughs> and uh, so, and my dogs are with me tonight, and they're very close. So I apologize uh, in advance if I don't get to the mute button in time uh, for that. But anyway, there you go. We are going to get rolling, and I'm going to turn it over to Dina, and she's going to tell us about this sweet ass uh, hooch she's gotten for us. Hoochie yeah. coochie. Yeah, it is. It is pretty. I, I like it. Mine's almost gone. So I wanted to find um, an Arkansas cocktail because uh, Pam's big one is out of Arkansas tonight. So I found this. It's called um, Arkansas Buttermilk. And it takes, <laughs> that takes a lot. Listen, yeah. three quarts <laughs> of pineapple juice, three quarts, quarts, quarts of juice, three quarts of grapefruit juice, a pint of lemon juice, a pint of grenadine, a fifth of vodka, and a fifth of Jack Daniels whiskey. And you're supposed Holy to cow. mix that all. Yeah. And a new gas can, a new gas can, and serve <laughs> it in mason jars. Now, obviously, as one person or two, because my husband tried it and decided he needed one too, um, we're not, we didn't make, you know, three quarts to feed 
Yeah. Nine quarts of juice or whatever. Yeah. So what we did was we did equal parts juice, a splash of lemon juice, a splash of grenadine, and then I did a shot of vodka and a shot of Jack Daniels and mixed it all together and put it in a mason jar. I would say that that's almost... uh, like gasoline anyway right there and i don't see the buttermilk in it at all i don't understand the buttermilk reference either well i did a half a cup of each of the fruit juices and half a lemon and a tablespoon of grenadine and um i overshot my pint um cannon jar because there was more stuff in it so when i went to pour it i poured it all over the cabinet like it filled the pint jar and then it went everywhere. But oops. So oops. if you that's half a half a cup is good for it bigger than a pint. So in other words, <laughs> your countertop is gonna be sticky for the next yeah, ten years. The ants are gonna be have parties, yes. Oh, they're gonna love it. <laughs> All right. Well, Dina, you did a good job, even though the name is weird. And um, when we uh, post the picture of your drink, um, or I guess we've already posted the picture of your drink, um, everybody please know that she did not really use that gas can that's in the. I did not, well, and it is did. obviously not new. Pretty sure it's the weed eater uh, gas can, but. It's- Which I told her to hide it, and then he wouldn't be able to weed eat outside the window. So. We're good. In fact, I think he's um, fit fixing the septic tank tonight so that's quiet <laughs> Ew. well there you go well that's a good thing to have work in i suppose yeah, yeah. all right well we uh <laughs> we're moving on uh it looks like uh to the big story pam i'm excited i mean really i'm not excited this is a kind of a not something to be excited about but i'm very interested to hear the story so take it away well, all right uh it is a bit of a gruesome tale uh it is in arkansas uh hence the cocktail reference all right tonight i am going to tell you about the murder and trial of connie franklin also known as the arkansas ghost or the ghost of the ozarks or arkansas mystery trial or arkansas ghost trial any of those names as how it's been referenced in uh, that's a lot of things i know i know and there's stuff out there so in 1929 five men were charged in the murder of connie franklin there were many twists and turns in the case but the biggest came when a man claiming to be connie franklin came forward to testify at his own murder trial dun 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 (laughs) (laughs) In January of 1929, Connie Franklin moved to the town of St. James in Stone County, Arkansas. Now, does Stone County border um, uh, Missouri? I think it does. I was just going to ask, so what's a a town in Stone County so we know? It's St. James is the name of this town. Now, I don't know what... In Arkansas. In Arkansas. I've never heard of that. Um, So it does not border. um, We've got like uh, uh, Carroll, Washington, and what's the other one? Newton? I don't know. Okay. I don't know. Anyway. Okay. So he showed up at St. James in Stone County, Arkansas. He worked as a farmhand and cutting timber. He claimed to be 22 years old. 
and soon after his arrival, he began courting a young 16-year-old local girl named Tilly Ruminer. In March, two months later, Franklin disappeared. Dun, dun, dun. Okay. <laughs> among the many <laughs> among the many questions were if Franklin had left voluntarily they wondered why did he leave his knapsack with his possessions behind and why did his mail continue to be delivered to the local post office so after an investigation sheriff sam johnston Johnson, sorry, sorry, uh, presented Tilly Rumner and Bertha Burns, who you'll hear more about later, as evidence to the grand jury of a missing person, foul play, or even murder. At the time, there were no witnesses willing to testify, so the grand jury took no action in the case. Quote, without bones or witnesses, they could not issue arrest warrants, end quote. In May... Two months after Connie Franklin's disappearance, the sheriff intercepted a note with enough information about the case that he renewed his efforts to find witnesses. Tilly Rumner made a statement. She told the sheriff that on March 9th of 29, that she and Franklin were attacked by night riders. Oh. Now, is, are night riders what uh, is referred to in Shepherd? No. Oh, they were ball knobbers, but ball they were knobbers. they were not. They don't don't in their line about night riders. It just means people that rob you at night. Oh, okay. <laughs> just makes me think good one, Don. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, they're bad people. Night riders are typically vigilantes or something. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So she explained. <laughs> she explained that she and Franklin intended to be married and were en route to the justice of the peace when they were attacked by four men. And those men were Hubert Hester, Herman Greenway, Joe White, and Bill Younger. According to her statements, Hester and Greenway took her to the woods and raped her, while the others tortured, mutilated, and burned Franklin alive. Yikes. When, when Tilly was questioned about her delay in reporting the crimes, she said she was afraid of reprisals and threats of violence against her and her family. Now, uh, the fifth man that was named in this was Alex Folks. And Alex Folks had not been named by her in her initial accusation, but... Um, he was now listed in the list of indictments. It should be noted that just a few months previously, Bertha Burns had successfully pressed charges against Folks and several other men for beating her husband in retaliation for some bit of wrongdoing. Mm. Hmm. It may or may not be significant that the five men charged were with Franklin's murder were also known as vigilantes. Good call, Don. Hey, Good there call. you go. <laughs> Night vigilante riders. Night vigilante riders. <laughs> All I can think about is the night rider theme. It's in my head right now. No, yeah. different I'm night sorry. rider. Yeah. I'm with you. I'm with you. Even more suggestive is the fact that the very day that Franklin disappeared, Four vigilantes, including Bill Younger, made a raid on the Tilly Ruminer cabin. 
they accused Tilly's father, Charlie, of stealing from one of them. The men beat the entire family and then hauled off Tilly's brother, Hoyt, to the aggrieved party's farm to work off his father's crime. Tilly later said that Hoyt was also kidnapped to make sure that she that she didn't squawk, a clear suggestion that the raid was also connected to the Franklin killing. The defendants, of course, claim just the reverse, that Tilly, that Tilly accused them of the murder and rape in revenge for her for the attack against her family. So now let me. Okay, that's a lot to process. That is a nonlinear girl. I'm I'm telling you, that's why I'm not drinking till after my big one's done. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I am and don't. (laughs) So okay. (laughs) All right. So uh, I got that, and I got that. Um. All right. Now, we go to early fall of 1929, six months after Franklin disappeared. Bertha Burns came forward with a bloody cap that supposedly belonged to Connie Franklin back in the spring. She contacted the sheriff and brought him to a pit of ashes near her home, claiming that there might be some evidence that Connie Franklin's murder in the pit. The sheriff found bone fragments and teeth which he took to the Arkansas State Health Health Officer. Dr. C.W. Garrison determined that at least one of the shards came from a human skull. Now, this was, what was the year? When was this? 29. 29. Hmm. Interesting that they have that capability in 29. I mean, well, I guess. I um, asked Garrison. (laughs) <laughs> he was the health officer. <laughs> well, it must have been intact enough that they could tell it, I guess. Right? Yeah. That it was human and yeah, not yeah, a yeah, fragment yeah. or whatever. Okay. Well, anyway, anyway, sorry. One, two, three. All right. Now I'm off to November. November of 29. The grand jury issued indictments for first-degree murder for Hester, Greenway, White, Younger, and Folks. This was after the discovery of the bloody cap, the fire pit, and the bones near Bertha Burns' home, eight and a half months after the alleged crime. The trial date was set for December 17th. So, the defendants maintained not only that they were innocent, but but that there had never been a murder at all. They all swore that, quote, Connie ain't dead, end quote, and their (laughs) relatives and supporters were determined to prove them right. On December 5th, 29, the Arkansas, wait, did I get, no, that's right, okay. On December 5th, the Arkansas Gazette ran a headline claiming that Connie Franklin had been seen alive after the supposed murder. A farmer by the name of Elmer Wingo from Moralton reported that Connie Franklin was passing through his area in March of 29 looking for work. He was a hired hand for two families in the area at that time. Wingo also said that he spent the night in his house 
and this was supposedly after he was killed and cremated. Other newspapers ran Wingo's story along with publishing Franklin's photograph. Relatives of some of the defendants offered a large reward to anyone who could deliver a living Connie Franklin. This publicity garnered highly astonishing results. A cotton buyer by the name of F.K. Marks was in Humphrey, was, yeah, was in Humphrey, Arkansas, visiting a farm owned by a family named Bryant. While there, he heard one of the men, hired men being addressed as Connie. When Mr. Bryant later referred to a Mr. Franklin, Marks put two and two together and added them up to mean a jackpot was within his grasp. <laughs> <laughs> he, he and Jack Applewhite, another of Bryant's farmhands, resolved to persuade Franklin to return to St. James, after which they would split the reward money. The next morning, they somehow convinced Franklin that he could not allow such a miscarriage of justice. They bundled him in Mark's truck and sped off. <laughs> uh, soon, uh, they soon found that they had competition for their little golden goose. The Bryants, it seemed, had also been trying to persuade Franklin to come, to come forward so that they could collect re the reward. <laughs> <laughs> the two parties made a frantic race, but the Marks team won triumphantly, presented their prize to one of the defense attorneys in the case. <laughs> That's the way they, this uh, thing is worded tickles me. All right. The newcomer immediately recognized relatives of the defendants, and they seemed to recognize him. Um, it was looking like there would be a speedy, if highly bizarre, end to the case. But there were unanswered questions. If this was Franklin, why had he left St. James so suddenly? Why had Tilly Rumner, why, why would Tilly Rumner concoct such a gruesome story of torture, rape, and murder in order to cold-bloodedly send to the gallows men she knew to be innocent? And what of the bones? And what of the bloody cap? The sheriff prepared a lineup for the newcomer, posing Tilly in the midst of a bevy of similar-looking girls. The new Franklin was challenged to pick out his old sweetheart. He immediately walked up to the right girl and said matter-of-factly, Hello, Tilly. <laughs> <laughs> Tilly clearly was shaken, insisting that this man com was completely different from the Connie that she had known. He responded by glibly rattling off any number of personal uh, details about their relationship. By the oh end of the interview, the girl was practically in tears, but she stubbornly maintained that this man was a stranger to her. Huh. All right, let's, let, let me take a breath. <laughs> My goodness, this is just something. All right, moving on. Shortly after his return to St. James, the sheriff discovered that the man claiming to be Connie Franklin was actually Marion Franklin Rogers, age, age 33, 
who had a wife and several children. Hmm. Further investigation revealed that in 1926, Rogers had been admitted to the state hospital for nervous diseases, where he escaped three months later. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> the plot thickens. The plot mm -hmm. thickens. Dun-dun-dun. Uh-huh. Dun-dun-dun. Tilly Rumner's cousin, Coleman Foster, was a, and a friend of Franklin's asserted that Rogers was not Franklin. Tilly and her father also denied that Rogers and Franklin were the same person, hesitantly at first, but then more assertively during the trial. But Rogers was able to identify Tilly and her father while others in the community, including the accused men, asserted that Franklin and Rogers were the same person. Hmm. Still confused. Still, con yes, it is very confusing, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> All right. Um, since they were unable to find witnesses to Franklin's identity, who did not have a vested interest <laughs> in the case, uh. The prosecutor decided that a trial was the only method to resolve this issue. A grand jury was convened at the same time to establish the identity of Rogers. But the, but the jury was struggling to establish whether or not a murder, a murder had even been committed. Um, Roger's identity was established on the basis of testimony from witnesses, including family members who had known him before and after his, quote, murder, end quote, as well as through handwriting, fingerprints, medical and dental evidence obtained by Arkansas State Hospital. So, uh... Dr. J.E. Luther confirmed that he was the same man through comparison of his military, uh, military and state hospital records and, and a firsthand examination. So, all right, <laughs> there is that. Now we get to the trial. During the trial, Prosecuting attorney Hugh Williamson was opposed by Ben Williamson, his younger brother, who acted as the chief defense counsel. Judge S.M. Bone presided. The prosecution submitted burned bones as evidence of Franklin's death, but dot, 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 as the temple bone had been, quote, mislaid, end quote, the state health officer Garrison refused to swear that the remains were human. In addition, both Garrison and the dentist testified that the teeth found at the site were not human. Tilly testified that Rogers was not the same man as Franklin and recounted her version of the events of March 9th. Her, testi her testimony was corroborated by Reuben Harrell, a deaf mute and a nephew to her cousin, Coleman Foster, who had come forward as an eyewitness to the crimes. Harrell gave witness statement claiming that he saw Connie Franklin's body being carried through the woods. 
Bertha Uh-oh. Burns <laughs> testified she heard a dreadful scream on the same night. Dreadful, okay. Dreadful scream from the woods on the same night. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I don't know how much of a case they have, but, uh, uh, well, anyway. <laughs> now to the defense. <laughs> <laughs> The defense presented witnesses who claimed that Rogers and Franklin were the same person. Rogers testified that he had been out drinking. Oh, you guys are going to love this. He had been out drinking with the defendants on the day of the, quote, murder, end quote, (laughs) had fallen off his mule, cut his head, which would then explain the bloody cap. And he had not seen Tilly until the following day. At that point, he claimed that Tilly said she wanted to postpone the wedding until the fall. Well, he didn't like that. And he replied that if she didn't marry him immediately, she would never see him again. She would not. So he left town and went to nearby Humphrey for work. Okay. (laughs) He returned when he heard others were on trial for the murder. He explained the story had its roots in the liquor wars between the Hess family and the Younger and Greenway families. The defense also claimed enemies of the accused had used Franklin's disappearance to frame them for murder, including placing animal bones in the fire pit in the woods. The Hmm. trial lasted two days. So can I ask a question? Sure. Um, Do we think that these youngers are related to the Jesse James youngers? Well, I thought that too. I didn't dig that far. Okay. Just wondered if that would came up for some reason. Anyway, I'm sorry. Carry on. No, no, that's good. We're we're close to the end. So uh, initially the jury reported that they were deadlocked and Judge Bone did not like that. And he told the jury that they had already cost the county $8,000 and instructed them to try again to come to a verdict. (laughs) The next day, they returned with a verdict of not guilty. (laughs) Now, it... This is one of the, and the other article said, this is one of those cases that may have been settled, but by no means is resolved and more questions are looming. If the defendants were innocent, why did Tilly bring such dreadful accusations against them? If Franklin had abandoned her, surely he would have been the target of her revenge, question mark. And if she had, and if she knew Franklin was not dead, why run the risk of saying that he had been murdered, knowing that at any time he could be brought forward to prove she had perjured herself. Right. And what motive did Bertha Burns and Reuben Harrell have to lie? Did someone with a grudge against the five defendants somehow force them all to deny that Rogers was Franklin? And if so, who? It was also never explained what motive the defendants uh, would have to murder Franklin so savagely. The man uh, they they found in Humphrey was most likely Marion Rogers, 
but was Rogers the man who had been in St. James? Could the friends and family of the defendants have found this plausible enough look-alike and bribed him to play the role? Questions, questions, questions. So uh, yeah. that's uh, it on the trial. Um, I, I ask me questions in a second. So the very, very end is just to say that on December, in December of 1932, three years after the trial, Rogers was found laying beside a road outside of Clarendon and died of exposure three days later. A medical <sighs> report showed he had appendicitis. Oh, gosh. Wow. So there's the murder of Connie Franklin, the ghost murder, the Ozark murder, the mystery trial, the ghost trial, however you want to <laughs> say it. So the, no, uh, crazy. The, the, the takeaway from this is we just don't know. Right. Right. Hmm. Yeah. And, uh, it, you know, times were different back then. It was 1929 and, and sensationalism, crazy. you know, that was really getting to be a, a I mean, murder sensation, sensational murders. That's, I mean, that's what Chicago was based on, right. you know, musical theater, blah, blah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we really don't know. Heck yeah. But who, who was know. the guy that was in St. James? You know, if they swear it wasn't, he wasn't Franklin. And for the longest time, I thought it was Connie Francis, and I was really concerned about that. <laughs> With a nice bouffant here. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Thought, Whoa, she's not that old. Uh, but anyway. Bouffant, uh, bouffant <laughs> yeah. here. So, That's right. Yeah. So, uh, there's some pictures and the extras and the four guys and the head headline of the newspaper and a picture of Tilly and a picture of Franklin. and uh, Wow. And uh, so, yeah, it was, yeah. Uh, it was, it was pretty interesting. Um, thank you. Yeah, that, <laughs> that was great. Man. That was good. I mean, I'm, I'm quiet because I'm still trying to, I don't know. It just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Well, I, yes. because you're frustrated. I'm frustrated with, I don't like stories that I don't have an answer to. Like I want the <laughs> ending. Uh, the yeah. and that does not have a the end right that's right. right that does that's why i guess it got dubbed the mystery trial or the ghost trial yeah, yeah. all those it, somebody should figure it out yeah. yeah somebody should yeah, yeah. I, I found well, this that was great. years 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 uh, not years uh months 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 ago when we first started uh thinking about doing this little program this little podcast mm -hmm. so i tried to find some sensational stories in arkansas because you guys have southern missouri all uh all uh, um soaked up and uh, <laughs> this is one of the first ones that i found and i put it on the back burner until now and so now i'm well, gonna pour me a cocktail thank you very all right, much i hear you i hear you pouring me a cocktail yes <laughs> good for you all right well great job yeah okay well are we ready to uh, move on to you, Miss uh, Dr. Dawn? I, I am. Are okay. Dr. All right. Dawn. Ms. Dr. Uh, Dawn. And I'll just say that I have had half of that drink, so perhaps <laughs> we are. <laughs> um, I have had all of mine, and I'm not talking for that reason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I only put two shots in mine. I feel like it has four, though. Okay. 
So I, so when Pam was going to do Connie Franklin, I thought, well, I'll go see if there's another murder that has not been solved in, o in Ozark, in Arkansas. And so I came across um, a more contemporary murder, um, uh, the murder of Rebecca Gould. Now, this was in 2004. Does anybody remember this? No. Okay. What part of what? Oh, well, I'm, I'm, I'll, yeah, I'll tell you all, the, I'll tell you all the things. So on September 27th, 2004, search crews who stopped near a steep embankment on Highway 9, a few miles outside of Melbourne, Arkansas, which is northeast of Mountain View, recovered the remains of missing college student Rebecca Gould. Rebecca's body was found partially clothed in the heavily wooded area near Devil's Knob Wildlife Management. Now, you, Pam, you know where that is, right? Uh, Devil's Knob? Devil's, yeah, Devil's Knob Wildlife. No. So this is northeast of uh, Mountain View. Yeah, I've been to Mountain View. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know. Uh, yeah, Devil's I don't know. Devil's Knob. Okay. No. Yeah. 22, ugh, 22 year old Rebecca was supposedly beautiful, charismatic, and beloved by friends and family. So, one week earlier, she walked into the Possum Trot convenience store. Of oh my God. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's not a fun Murder's never funny, but uh, oh my God. That's funny. In Melbourne, which is spelled like the Melbourne in Australia, I think it's funny. Okay. So one week earlier, she walked into the Possum Trop convenience store to pick up some snacks after dropping off a male friend at work. This was the last time someone other than her killer saw her alive, according to Lieutenant Bill Beach of the Arkansas, Arkansas State Police. Oh, this is gonna be bad. Okay, for more than 15 years, the mystery has been one of the biggest cold cases in the state of Arkansas. Um, on the weekend she went missing, her sister Danielle said that Rebecca was staying with her friend Casey McCullough in the nearby town of, okay, Pam, help me here, Guion, G-U-I-O-N. Oh, gosh. I don't know that either. Don't I, I don't either. And I'm so sorry, people that live there. I looked it up to try to find how you pronounced it and I couldn't. I mean, I don't know. Guion. Guion. I guess. G-U-I-O-N. G-U-I-O-N. So anyway, in that town, she said, uh, the sister said that Rebecca was originally supposed to stay with her on Friday night, but later told her that she would be back on Monday instead. Though on the surface, there was nothing unusual about this. Danielle, her sister, said she had a bad feeling all weekend but began to seriously worry when Monday morning rolled around without a call from her sister. Rebecca had known that the girls were due back in Fayetteville by noon, but she never showed up. So the search began and police found Rebecca's Chevrolet Cavalier cell phone purse and other effects at McCullough's house. They also found blood at various locations around the house which led them to suspect that the primary crime scene was inside the house, and then Rebecca was forcibly moved to another location. The evidence points to a brutal scene. 
Bloodstained sheets were discovered in the washing machine and a blood covered mattress had been flipped over so that the blood wasn't um, viewable. Ew. I know. An uneaten breakfast sandwich, possibly from the possum trot. (laughs) (laughs) The possum trot. I'm so sorry. (laughs) But just here. Uh, Sat on the bedside table. Okay. Oh. Yeah. So it's, yeah, just like it happened. So according to area-wide media, the official autopsy report concluded that the killing blow was likely struck from a piano leg that was missing from the McCullough's home. Oh my gosh. Which is cr- crazy. Police know, believe- why, Did the piano fall over? I mean, I, does I don't know. Leg? I don't know. I know. Okay, sorry. All right. Weird. Police believe that Rebecca, who was found uh, when she was found wearing a nightshirt and underwear, could have been taking a nap before her trip back to school when she was woken up by her attackers. There was no evidence that Rebecca had been sexually assaulted, but due to the length of time that Rebecca's body was outside, the report concluded that this evidence could have been lost. So the missing person case, once they found the body, sadly turned into a murder investigation. And in a small town, everyone became a suspect. Special Agent Dennis Simons with the Arkansas State Police told KAIT Channel 8 that authorities- We're on your side. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Sorry. Okay, thanks. (laughs) Believed uh, that authorities believed Rebecca was very familiar with her killer or killers and that people who knew Rebecca at least casually have not been completely forthcoming with information. And that's in quotes, that they hadn't been forthcoming with information. Oh, this, somebody's mm-hmm. trying to cover it up. Yeah. So this is a quote too by this special agent. There's a lot of rumors locally about what happened inside the residence, but law enforcement knows, what well, shit. But law enforcement knows, and the person that killed Rebecca knows. So we're not releasing that information. Ooh. I know. Okay. Over the, and that was from a piece um, that, that was from a piece that this Channel 8 did like right after the murder happened, or they discovered the body. Over the years, investigators attempted to piece together a timeline of Rebecca's last weekend on Earth. Arkansas State Police investigator Mark Hollingsworth said Gould and McCullough were seen together at Harp's Grocery Store in Mountain View on September 19th, and that, by all accounts, she was acting normally, which is kind of a weird thing to say, really. Hmm. Um, Police say they questioned McCullough, who met Rebecca when she was a car hop at Sonic several times and ruled him out as a suspect. And that's where, you know, she was at his house. He said he stayed with a friend after work on September September 20th and assumed Gould had gone back to Fayetteville. So he wasn't even there. Hmm. Journalist George Jared wrote in his books book Witches in West Memphis, The West Memphis Three, and and Another False Confession, that McCullough told him that he was back at work the next day when he heard Rebecca was missing. He said that when detectives began to interrogate him, quote, that's when it turned into a bunch of shit. (laughs) 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 All right. 
McCullough said she would never hurt anybody. I don't know who would want to hurt her. This is and will be the biggest tragedy of my life. McCullough was never confirmed. No, McCullough had never confirmed the exact nature of his relationship with Rebecca. But Danielle, her sister, said that McCullough adored Rebecca. Danielle said Rebecca told her during their final drive that McCullough wanted to get exclusive, but she was not sure about taking that step. So there was a romantic connection, even though. Mm. So Rebecca's father, Dr. Larry Gould, was a local dentist. And for years, he battled to get justice for his daughter, including contacting the press, hiring private investigators, and working with local organizations to put up reward money. Dr. Gould told the Baxter Bulletin that he heard rumors that Rebecca might have been involved in small-time drug dealing, or that a jealous girl dating one of her ex-boyfriends may have decided to assault her. He was also very interested in a theory about a party that reportedly took place at McCullough's house over the weekend, which at least one of Rebecca's ex-boyfriends and his new girlfriend were said to have attended. So I assume then if Casey McCullough is to be believed and there was a party at his house, he wasn't there. Um, so in 2016, there appeared to be a break in the case when Dr. Gould received a letter from someone who said they overheard at least four people talking about the murder at Ozarka College in Melbourne before it was widely known that Rebecca vanished. The letter writer claimed to be able to identify three people involved with the killing who were described as two women and a man who approached another man with dirty blonde hair who asked them, did you get it? The three people in question responded by graphically describing Rebecca's, uh, Rebecca's final moments. The alleged killer said that Rebecca was dragged through the house, adding that blood was everywhere and she put up a fight and screamed a lot. They allegedly said they were not able to retrieve stuff from Rebecca before dumping her body. So in 2016, they're assuming it's a drug you know, related thing. Hmm. But then, so, you know, that was kind of all that I found until November 9th, my birthday, 2020, which I spent in isolation. <laughs> um, <laughs> like we all did this last year, right? <laughs> A Texas man visiting Izzard County in 2004 has been charged and arrested with the murder first degree in connection with the death of Rebecca Christian Gould. William Alama Miller, 44, a resident of Cottage Grove, Oregon, was arrested November 7th by a special agent of the Arkansas State Police Criminal Investigation Division. The arrest occurred in Lane County, Oregon after state police a special agent assigned to the case learned Miller had returned to his home following an extended stay in the Philippines. So this dude was out of the country and then came back home. Miller will remain in the Lane County Jail in Eugene, Oregon, pending an extradition hearing. In the days leading up to the discovery of her body on September 27, 2004, remember, 
Family members had reported Ms. Gould missing, leading to a community-based search across Melbourne and much of Izzard County. Izzard County law enforcement authorities handed off the criminal investigation to Arkansas State Police immediately while the search was underway. This is kind of recapping. Special agents of the Criminal Investigation Division have devoted hundreds of hours to the case, which was never classified as a cold case. So I thought that was interesting because you know, this other article um, from the Northwest Arkansas newspaper said it was one of the, what they say, cold cases, longest cold cases or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, okay, upon learning of the arrest, Colonel Bill Bryant, director of the Ar Arkansas State Police stated, quote, the special agents assigned to this case never abandoned any hope of finding the necessary evidence and facts to lead them to a suspect and an arrest. <clears throat> This case is a testament to the Criminal Investigation Division and the devotion the special agents assigned to the division possess in helping police and sheriff's departments across Arkansas with their toughest cases. But then there was an update on Wednesday, December 23rd, 2020, William Miller entered a not guilty plea at his, at his arraignment. He is held on no bond and a court date is scheduled for late August, 2021. So this information is according to documents on Court Connect. Now, so that's the story. So we don't really know um, any more information except this guy was arrested and is being held without bond. So that means it's a pretty strong case that he probably did it. The guy from Oregon. From Oregon, who had been in the Philippines. In the Philippines, okay. okay. And if you look at him, so there's a black and white picture of him, but um, I don't know if it's, he's the man with dirty blonde hair who asked them, did you get it? You know, like, so there's, I could never find any information about, was it really a drug thing? Because I guess the case is ongoing, and so they don't want to really release too much information. Hmm. So that's it. So I mean, the good okay. thing is they got somebody in custody. And in August, we'll know if he um, if he he was the one or if they ruled huh. that he was the one. Huh? So that's well, it. That is Yeah, we should do a little follow up on that. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the title of the, the article calendar. was called the the murder in the Ozarks was what it was called. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, well, that was very interesting. Good grief. Yeah, yeah, I didn't know anything about it. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. So there you go. Yeah. So I, I don't know. That not a lot of information except it happened and now they've arrested someone. So that's good to know. Well, and I mean that's you know, I hope that that brings some closure for the family and hmm. maybe uh, you know, it's you know, it's headed the right direction. Yeah. yeah. I thought it was really interesting how these murder cases are covered in the press you know while the things are going on there's all this buzz and all this speculation and and then it just dies i couldn't find anything about it except articles that refer back to it like this is one of arkansas's most famous cold cases um until something else happens and then suddenly you know yeah how yeah. it relates with the earlier stuff we don't know so well, okay then. Anybody, any other questions for Dawn or Pam? 
Dina or Dawn or Pam? <laughs> I don't know. My face is hot and I feel like, <laughs> I feel like this drink, maybe because uh, I haven't eaten very Did much. Did you drink out of a gasoline can, Dawn? No, that's not good. but it, okay. <laughs> no. no? Oh, okay. I'm enjoying it. I just oh, started with Dawn's okay. story. So uh, it's, uh, it's fruity. fruity. Yeah. Yeah. Fruity. It's good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I bought a whole freaking quart of orange juice which the, these people know gives me heartburn i'm like mm, great i love orange juice Good but orange the, juice. well i wish i could mail it to you because i had some oranges in the fruit drawer and i ended up just juicing those so i bought this stupid quart of orange juice for nothing <laughs> oh. <laughs> so, anyway. oh well all righty then well we want to thank everybody <sighs> for uh, joining us once again and yeah. you know we're always looking for you know, suggestions, please feel free to contact us via our social media. We, you know, enjoy that as well. We've got some great followers out there that um, like to give us some updates or more information on stories we've already done. And that's great. We really appreciate that. And uh, I, I think we want to thank you all. I think I already said that. Thank you for joining us. But um, uh, please be sure to leave us stars and, you know, good, um, reviews everywhere you can and uh we're gonna say goodbye bye goodbye, everybody bye. thank you so much and remember if you liked it tell all your friends and if you didn't keep your big mouth shut, shut. <laughs>